Welcome to Clearly Underrated, a mind-expanding podcast for the innately curious. Today on the podcast, I'm very excited to be speaking about youth voting with John B. Holbein. John is an assistant professor of public policy at the Frank Batten School of Leadership and Public Policy at the University of Virginia. His research centers around all things political and voting related. And today, he's joined me to talk about something clearly underrated, youth voting in the United States. So I want to start with you, John, talking about your interest in voting. Uh, I know that this is something that started relatively early in your career. So what was sort of the impetus for you to, to make this one of the main areas of study for you? And, you know, you can talk about voting in general, but also really, why was youth voting something that you started to focus in on? As someone who came to politics sort of late in their life, I, you know, I, I was not interested in politics till probably I turned like 21 or 22. Like this was something that was, you know, really interesting to me was like, why, why do certain young people like not follow that path? Why is it that some young people start off in politics much earlier in their lives and, and, and are actively engaged? So that, that was sort of like my personal experience was like, you know, I was, I was around folks who were very into politics, but was never really interested in it uh, myself. My co-author Sunshine Hilligus at Duke and I, when we were having a discussion of like, things that we could possibly study we we said to ourselves you know there are a lot of a lot of the social science that we know about politics starts when you know sort of when i was started being interested in engaged in politics it's early 20s when we start um interviewing uh, folks for political surveys or you know 18 maybe that at the earliest and we don't really know much about like how their experiences, how, how young people's experiences before they turn 18, before they're eligible to vote shapes their, their, their later voting processes. We do we just, it's sort of a black box. So we said to ourselves, well, this is really a puzzle because, you know, young people in the United States um, are, are, are very unlikely to cast a ballot, but those that do are pretty consistent with it. So there's sort of this like, difference between those who are like active sort of habitual voters and those that are persistent non-voters. We sort of wanted to say, okay, how does one get set on this path early on in their life of either becoming an active voter or not? It's very interesting. And do you think that the reason that research sort of was only starting at about the age of 18 was because that's when people were eligible to vote? And so researchers just took that as a default, didn't think about everything that comes before that? Yeah, it's tricky to study folks young or uh, to study kids when they're younger. It's hard to get good data on um, uh, young people who are in, you know, who are kids or sort of uh, early adolescent years. It's just hard to field surveys of those of those pools of people. You know, a lot a lot of political surveys. This might be getting too in the weeds. Start from like voter registration lists. So they'll, they'll take a list publicly available of folks who are registered to vote, and then they'll say, okay, this is going to inform our survey sample and of course who, who's left out of that is all the people who can't register to vote yet because they're too right. young so tell me one of the things i want to get a little bit wonky here into some of the the findings that you and and your co-author um sunshine hilligus found one of the things you point out is that about 90 percent of young americans and that's defined as people uh, as americans between the ages of 18 and 29 were interested in politics 
so very high percentage, and about 80% said they intended to vote. In the 2016 election, so the most recent general election in the United States, only 43% of that age group actually voted. And I know that a lot of your research is dedicated to this. So give give me a little bit of insight. What What's going on here? Sort of backing up to the, the genesis of this book, one of the early stage things that we did in the project was say, okay, let's collate like what other people are saying about why young people don't vote. And it's really easy to like find, um, uh, you know, pieces and, and, and overall this general narrative that young people are apathetic about politics, mm-hmm. that they're just disengaged. They care more about their cell phones than they do about democracy. And so uh, one of the things we discovered early on is that no matter how you measure it, no matter what data set you use, that's actually not true, right? That young people are, regardless of the measure that one uses, saying and showing evidence of being really interested in politics, of being keyed into uh, the fact that, that there's an upcoming election and wanting to be a participant in that that process, but just more generally wanting to be able to better their community. So we've seen this high level of interest manifest itself in recent years in the United States with uh, the March for Our Lives around uh, gun mm-hmm. violence or, or, or um, various um, youth-led climate change uh, protest movements. You can tell in those that there are a lot of young people who are very interested in politics, and that's that's borne out in survey data. It's not just restricted to a few very active uh, teenagers. Young people are very, very interested in politics, but they just really struggle to turn that interest and that intention to participate in voting. They they really struggle to follow through on those good intentions. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we show in the book is that uh, young people are like twice as bad at following through on their intention to vote as than older citizens. And one mm-hmm. of the reasons why we think that is, is because this is a brand new experience for them. Navigating sure. voting is is it very easy for those of us who've done it before. We know, okay, well, here's my polling place. I'm going to go there. I know how about how long it's going to take. I know what documents mm-hmm. I need. I know how to figure out what's going to be on the ballot so I'm prepared for it. I know about how much preparation I need to do. And I know, you know, may, maybe it's going to be, there's going to be a little bit of a line. Uh, young people have no experience with the process whatsoever. So the the thought of filling out a voter registration form on which they could make mistakes and be prosecuted for lying about or misrepresenting themselves on a voter registration form is intimidating to them, right? right. So when we were writing the book, we found this study of young people. They went to a pool of, of young people in a, in a school district and said, okay, fill out these voter registration forms. And they didn't help the young people at all. And among the sample of young people who are about uh, coming into the electorate registering, half of them made mistakes on the voter registration form that would cause the voter registration to be kicked back to them. So all of this is to say, in, in sort of social science terms, voting is more costly for young people. It takes more time. It's, it's intimidating. They, they, they um, sort of uh, just don't have the experience that they, they need to navigate this, this process to get to voting. Thinking about this election, this has is, is got to be and historical election, right? First of all, we're facing a situation 
due to the pandemic where there will be probably a lot more mail-in votes cast than, than what we would see historically. We also have two candidates that are uh, both in older in their older years. You add on top of that the fact that this is a highly politically charged environment. So we it seems like you have things that could play towards an increase in youth voting. It does seem like we have a political atmosphere where more people are engaged than ever before. But then you have those other factors that that you just talked about that swing the other way. What do you think is going to happen? It's a great question. The best way to know what potentially happens in the future and kind of the only way is to look to the past. So in 2018, we, you know, that that was when the sort of the March for Our Lives movement was really taking taking roots. And, and we did see an uptick in youth voter turnout in 2018. So 2014, about one in five young people cast a ballot in the midterm elections that year. In 2018, it was about one in three, right? So it's an increase. It's a meaningful increase. But that that still suggests that two in three young people didn't cast a ballot, right? So, um, you know, uh, and and we did have some evidence from earlier this year before the pandemic really hit from uh, primaries and caucuses uh, early on. And and, and the data wasn't looking super great, right? Like um, it was still the case that older citizens were much more likely to cast the ballot. Primary elections are kind of weird, right? Um, And caucuses are very weird. It is definitely the case that there are structural issues that are not being fixed on both the process of voting side, like you mentioned, and also on the policies that young people care about. So, you know, on the process side of things, like, I, you know, early in the early in the pandemic, when schools basically shut down in the United States in March, I, I was just pulling my hair out because this is the time when um, a lot of uh, initiatives to register incoming 18-year-olds happen, right, is in the, say, the, um, the, the spring before these young people uh, go to college or graduate from high school. It, that didn't happen, right? So that's, that's pushing in the opposite direction of, of, of seeing increased youth engagement. Then all of the changes to the voting rules that, you know, in theory make voting easier actually comes with a little bit of a cost as well because it can confuse young people and the fact that our voting laws are still changing you know seemingly like Mm -hmm. up to the election is is very confusing so just to give you an anecdote about this so my my wife received her mail-in ballot we live here in virginia uh she received her mail-in ballot uh the, the earlier this week and the instructions were very long and very archaic and you it was just very kind of confusing and intimidating and not only that but they were contradictory so on one page of the ballot it said in order to cast this ballot you have to have a witness signature and then on another piece of paper it says you don't need a witness signature so it was it's just you can imagine a young person who's coming to this for the first time and saying like what do i need to do this seems harder and like then there's a big stamp on the top that's like if you if you commit fraud you can be penalized and you know jail time and 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 penalties so all of that is to say um, some of the structural ways that we go about the voting process have not changed and if they have changed it's maybe gone in the direction that that we wouldn't like very much i know there's no silver bullet but if you had to describe you know the one to three fundamental things that we could improve 
to make it so that our our youth voter participation was significantly higher, what would those be? This is not uh, one of those problems that's intractable, right? There, there are potential solutions and we have good evidence that those potential solutions work. I like to think of these as sort of like the... Um, like the immediate and the long-term, sort of like the things that we could do now um, versus the things that we could do long-term. So right now, it, it would be helpful for all the organizations and groups that put so much effort and time into um, mobilizing young people. I'm thinking about like Rock the Vote, right? These, mm-hmm. these organizations that really put a lot of money and time into trying to get young people to vote, that they wouldn't just focus on sort of messaging that's like, come on, you should be doing this. Like, this should be like, the, you should care more about this. Like, let's make politics more interesting by getting celebrities up there to like try and convince you that voting is cool. To transition from that to uh, an approach that really takes into account the fact that young people want to engage, but they yeah. just struggled with these barriers and obstacles that we've talked about. So that's that's the short term, and I think that's um, something that we've seen uh, uh, evidence of working. So there have been studies that suggest that you know rather than just like berating uh, young voters with like, you should vote, it's your civic duty to vote, but rather saying like, okay, let's make a plan together of like when you're gonna cast a ballot, how you're gonna get there, uh, what that process is going to look like. Let's put a reminder on your calendar that's you know pings you when it's time to time to go. Let's have you make a plan to go with somebody else. All of these things do help. So that that's sort of like the short term types of things. So in the medium run, we can think about like changes to our election electoral system that make it easier to register and to cast the ballot. So we show in the book that that reforms like online registration makes it a lot more convenient to register to vote. Same day registration that um, allows you to register when you show up at the polls. If say you've you've missed a registration deadline or have just forgotten or or otherwise missed it. In the long term, I think it's time, well, far past time to think about like what civics is in in, in schools, right? To have a fundamental rethinking of of what it is that we do in school. So the here it helps us to know what the status quo is, right? So what are we doing right now? So what we're doing right now predominantly is what we call affectionately bubble sheet civics, which is just like, here's a bunch of information about American history, memorize it so that you can fill out a bubble sheet and, um, you know, regurgitate that information about, you know, who, 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 who has been on the Supreme Court, you know, hundreds of years ago, who the founding fathers were, facts about American history. Don't get me wrong, those things are important, but that's not all that citizens, young people need to become active voters. They need to be engaged in the political debates of the day. They need to be taught uh, how to work well with their fellow classmates towards social goals. Um, They need to be uh, given the opportunity to practice registering to vote in a sort of mentored environment. They need to be shown what a voting booth looks like and what that process will look like, what a ballot looks like. These types of very 
practical things um, that help young people get the applied knowledge about what voting is going to be like, but also to develop the applied skills that they'll need to be good citizens as a whole. We, we've, we've seen some evidence that when these approaches have been tried, there have been meaningful changes in, in, in young people's voting rights. So I'll just give you one example of that very quickly. In a couple of places around the United States, we have now um, a set of charter schools called democracy prep charter schools. And these democracy prep charter schools, as their name implies, focus their whole curriculum of the school around developing good citizens. And so what, what do they do? Well, they'll, 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 they'll learn a, a principle in, um, uh, say, their math class, some, some kind of uh, math. And then they'll be able to use that to help solve a social problem in their community. Right. They'll um, have an expectation before they graduate. The school will have an expectation for the students before they graduate that they help do a community improvement project with a, a set of teammates at the school. Even more politically, they participate in a mobilization campaign where they go knocking on doors trying to get people to vote who are eligible to do so. They have candidates come in, into the school and talk to the students. They have debates about climate change. And it, it, it's just a very different environment than the bubble sheet civics that I was talking mm -hmm. about earlier. So the, that, that program has shown some big returns. So in the study, in evaluation studies that have looked at the effect of attending a democracy prep charter school, there's a pretty meaningful and large boost that comes to the students who get that sort of um, non-traditional new form of civics education. Uh, uh, boost their chances of voting by quite a bit. So that, that, that's the way I think about things. It's sort of re rethinking like the here and now, how campaigns treat young voters, how they target them. The medium term sort of thinking about how we make registering and voting a more uh, user-friendly experience. And then long-term rethinking civics to focus on like the applied knowledge in, um, 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 as well as sort of like this, like his, just memorizing history, basically. Thanks so much for coming on, John. This was awesome. Yeah, I thanks for having me. I appreciate it. A special thanks to John B. Holbein for sharing why youth voting is clearly underrated. You can find John at at John Holbein one and check out his book, Making Young Voters. And thanks to you for listening to this podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, leave a review, or share with a friend. If you want to tell me about something clearly underrated, leave a voice message at clearlyunderrated.com or on my Anchor FM page, anchor.fm slash clearlyunderrated. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Chad Turner. Tom Britton provided the music you hear throughout the podcast. Next time, we'll learn about an animal that has a special ability to save lives. This underrated animal is often thought of as a rodent or pest, but we'll see how this animal's special olfactory abilities are being used to rid the world of some of its most dangerous and deadly problems. Until next time.